0: When I'm in a fatigue state, I might not be in that physical readiness to handle that misstep, right? And so oftentimes we think that the injury comes with your foot hitting the ground. And it's the result of how your body responds to that foot that's hitting the ground that my group anticipates is the reason, right? So it's not necessarily the, the level of the impact. It's how my body responds to that impact that's more important. And in a fresh state, I can respond with that physical readiness. In a fatigue state, whether it's be anatomical or physiological or whether it's mental, I can't respond to that.
1: Meet Josh Bailey, an assistant professor in the Department of Movement Sciences at the University of Idaho. Josh can't seem to get away from runners. A runner himself, he now even studies this group of athletes. Specifically, Josh wants to understand how endurance runners manipulate the pattern of their gait during a long training run. He wants to help runners limit the chance of chronic injuries, especially when they become fatigued. Welcome, everyone, to The Vandal Theory. Hi, everyone. My name is Lee Cooper, and I'm a science writer here at U of I and your host for The Vandal Theory, a podcast about science and research at the University of Idaho. Throughout the third season of the podcast, which we're recording and producing remotely, We're going to talk to U of I researchers about questions they want to answer, problems they want to solve, and what gets them excited about their research. Josh and I talked about how the science of body mechanics has changed over time and what he's doing to help runners. Hey, Josh. Thanks for giving me a call today and doing the podcast.
0: Right on. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it very much.
1: So Josh, you are a, first off, a runner, but you also study runners and study how the human body moves. So can you just kind of give me a rundown of what do you study?
0: Yeah. So um, thanks for calling me a runner. Um, Currently, I'm getting back into running. You know, I I became an endurance runner probably in two thousand one, 2002, you know, I had come out of high school and wanted to change type of my activities and get more healthy and fitness was one of those things that I was into. And then I decided to do a marathon. And so that changed my trajectory quite a bit of the type of activity I was doing. And, and so what I do is I study how runners interact with their environment. And the reason I do that is, you know, it started during that training for my marathon where I got a little pain, but I enjoyed the process and I and I enjoyed pushing through the pain, um, but I was on a traditional three-month training program where you gradually increase, and you know, and and so it was a, kind of an interesting experience. I bonked in that first marathon, but that training process and that that race day really solidified for me what I wanted to do. And so I went on. I've run five marathons, um, a number of half, but I've switched footwear, I've sh- switched the way I run, I've become more focused on listening to my body, and then that kind of derived my my studying and what i do for a living now with just connections of of how my path has gone from personal training to academia really took off of one class i took a biomechanics class and my professor was an endurance runner and she studied running and it took me from there yeah
1: so help me biomechanics what yep. is what does that really mean
0: so basically you know bio is the human body uh, mechanics is simply a, a branch of science a branch of physics we look at really applying Newtonian mechanics, laws of of Newton to the human body and and describing how we interact with our environment, right? So there's forces that we interact with. There's forces that we produce within our body. um, And we're really trying to figure out how that propels me or moves me um, and creates that motion. Our bodies are made of skeleton. uh, They're made of muscles. And they're made of a couple other components too. But we really figure out how that body responds to our environment to produce whatever movement we want.
1: So I'm guessing, uh, and maybe I'm just bringing, you know, the knowledge that I have, which may or may not be wrong by this point. I mean, I think we've all seen, you know, when we're watching the Olympics or something like that, you know, the extreme athlete olympian athlete on the treadmill or or you know showing how they swim and looking at exact little minute things uh to seeing how they can you know hold their hand a little bit different or their foot a little bit different to do a whole bunch better is that what you're studying or have you taken it in a different direction
0: you know it's it's interesting because that is one extreme right so the extreme of what we do is trying to look at elite athletes look at somebody who's on that Olympic level or that elite level in trying to find areas where we can manipulate some small component, whether it be clothing, whether it be um, a foot strike pattern, whether it be the angle at which their hand enters the water and how they pull and drag through the water. That is one area. And that has been an area that has driven some of our research historically in biomechanics is because they're trying to give elite athletes that a little extra
1: the edge. Millisecond.
0: Yeah, exactly. A little extra, extra edge. My interest lies more in uh, the normal population or the recreational athlete, right? Where we can see large improvements, but more importantly, we can keep them healthy in performing in in kind of removing that idea of injury risk. So we know mechanically there are some injury risk factors in all sports and all movements. And there is a a population within our society in the biomechanics community and the scholars that that relies, that's more of our interest on the everyday person rather than the elite because the elite is such a small, minute percentage of our population and, and endurance running specifically over the last two decades has has flourished. Um, it's become very, very popular with a number of races and those races are being impacted by recreational athletes, people who are setting goals for themselves, whether it be a bucket list goal or whether it's a health and fitness goal. And those are the individuals that I'm really interested in, 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 in helping along their path.
1: So when you're talking about injuries, then are you working on, they've been injured and they're trying to recover or are you doing more preventative work?
0: You know, and that's that's a shift. So uh, much of the focus has been identifying individuals that have been diagnosed or present with a certain pathology. Whether it be runner's knee, whether it be patellofemoral pain, whether it be iliotibial band syndrome. These are all overuse injuries. Things that happen because running is very cyclical and repetitive um, sport where you're continuing loading the structure. And so... Okay. You're putting a
1: lot of miles on those joints and tendons and muscles and et cetera, et cetera.
0: Exactly. Right. And, and so what we've done is we say, okay, these individuals have this, and then we bring them in a lab and compare them to a healthy population. And we know that once you um, are diagnosed or you present with a certain pathology, there's certain things that you behave differently. Right. And then what we've done is now we're starting to, to do, and it's really happened over the last couple of decades where they started to look at, well, let's take healthy people and longitudinally track them and then see if we can find areas that are that are predictors of injury. And there are certain pathologies in certain sports that have identifiable predictors and I'll take like an ACL injury, right? So we know there's a quad hamstring ratio um, and we know individuals that come in and present with a varus or valgus motion in the knee, which is a collapsing or bending out of the knee tend to be at higher risk of acl injuries and so we're doing that as well as with running we're doing some running assessments and other strength measures um, and clinical assessments that try to relate or predict injury but it's a long process right and and that's where our science is going now is trying to create these batteries of tests that we say okay this this person might be more susceptible to injury and we're really interested in overuse injuries Acute injuries are, are things where like I step on a rock if I'm trail running or I step on something I didn't see and I twist my ankle or I sprain my knee. That's an acute injury, something that happened because of a discrete event, right? We're really more interested in these overuse injuries where because I'm putting so many steps down on the pavement or pounding the pavement, as we say, my body keeps being loaded in the same pattern. So certain Menisci, or ligaments, or muscles, or bones—they start getting these stresses in the same location, which may cause an overuse injury, as a, a microfracture, or a strain, or a ligament strain, those type of things.
1: So once you're able to identify these with uh, with you know precision. Is the, the overarching goal then to be able to, you know, provide those runners with exercises to strengthen against those injuries or or help them tweak their running style or something to limit that issue? Like, what's the kind of goal in the long run?
0: Yeah, I mean, that is the goal, right? So the goal is okay. more of a preventative health kind of metric. You know, I have a background in um, personal training and, and strength and conditioning. So my interest is keeping the body strong and working while preventing injury, right? So there's a th- we know there's a threshold where it's an overload principle where we can keep applying loads and then at some point our body can't take it and it's going to break, right? And it's going to snap, whether, whether that's a ligamentous tear, whether that's a strain in the muscle, whether it's a fracture of the bone, Whatever that is, we know there's this threshold as far as the load that our body can stand. So our idea is really that we can put this battery of tests in and it's more like a clustering where we say, okay, if you present with these bilateral differences um, or asymmetries and you have a deficit here, then we need to focus you on these strength and conditioning metrics or we need to adjust this stride parameter rather than this stride parameter, because it will put you in a position that is better able to withstand the load that you're being put upon. Right. So Ooh. it's, it's really that preventative mindset where we can say, listen, I don't want you to just jump in and overload, overload, overload. And an idea is, you know, currently I, we have a study and I have a general a individual who's a participant and they are presenting with knee pain. And we have seen Gate and motor patterns in this particular individual that presents as potential risk factors. Well, this individual has followed a training plan, which is a three-month training plan, very traditional. And in that plane, every month, typically your long run goes up a mileage.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, this
0: individual participant has presented now with knee pain. And, and, and this is that idea, right, where we should have said at the beginning, well, let's push your race day out and pick another race. Let's slower let's slow down your progressions and really focus on your motor pattern and movement patterns first, fixing some of those motor patterns that we th- think that are imbalanced or you have a deficit here. And then we can start adding it and maybe the knee pain wouldn't bend there. Right? That's that whole mindset that we have right now.
1: And those are like kind of the classic, if you Googled I want to train for a marathon, uh, things that you would download.
0: Exactly. If you buy a book, if you, you Google it, you you go onto any of the sites, any social media site, any race website, they're going to give you a, a classic three month or six month training program, depending on where you're at and what the length of the race is.
1: So I know, I mean, you're not only studying this, but you're also focusing in on fatigue, First, what are you studying about fatigue? And then why is it so important to focus on a runner that's fatigued as opposed to a fresh runner?
0: Yeah, so I, I, so the idea is, is fatigue is a threshold. And, and the idea is that there's no sense in studying a, a runner in a, in a comfortable, relaxed setting early on in the run, because that's not typically how these things happen. Let me let me back up a second and really kind of define the fatigue I'm talking about. There are many ideas about fatigue, right? So fatigue could be a central fatigue, fatigue could be a, or neuromuscular fatigue. Fatigue could be that you're deplenished, your energy stores, so you don't have any energy, whether it's carbohydrates, whether it's fat components. But then the fatigue that we're looking at is more of this perception of fatigue. So there are individuals that are going to take blood draws and measure the amount of Lactate or some sort of byproduct within your blood. There are some individuals who are going to do another metric where they look at EMG and, and look at the signal within the EMG to find out the muscular fatigue levels. But what we're trying to see is if I perceive or think that I'm tired, then I'm going to have that same problem, right? And, and so the idea is my next footfall may be incorrect my swing phase or as i bring that leg through may not follow the pattern correctly and so the idea in this fatigue state is your muscles in your body can't withstand those loads and they can't control the way that you are running therefore we believe you are more susceptible in that indication or in that instance of injury
1: so in the beginning of a run i'm i'm being really good about how i'm how i'm running making sure i'm not Doing all the things that maybe I I know I shouldn't do while I'm running, uh, but then as mentally I, I drift and mentally get fatigued, I might become lazy with uh, bringing my foot all the way through or whatever your individual tendency is to, to fall towards.
0: Yeah, and, and I'll take that one step further, like, that going back to the early run, if I make a mistake in my step or I step on something, I'm of the mindset and I'm of the attention that I can adjust and correct that, right? I can manipulate my stiffness or I can manipulate my pelvic drop or the location of my upper body to withstand that and make that quick follow through of my opposite leg. When I'm in a fatigue state, I might not be in that physical readiness mm-hmm. to handle that misstep, right? And so oftentimes we think that the injury comes with your foot hitting the ground and it's the result of how your body responds to that foot that's hitting the ground that my group anticipates is the reason, right? So it's not necessarily the the level of the impact. It's how my body responds to that impact. um, That's more important. And in a fresh state, I can respond with that physical readiness. In a fatigue state, whether it's be anatomical or physiological or whether it's mental, I can't respond to that. And that's our, our debate. And then taking the fatigue one further is, it's my theory that if I can identify a level of fatigue within you physically, and I see what changes after that in your pattern, then I also may use that from another strength and conditioning preventative health measure to say, okay, this is your limiting factor in your runs. We need to strengthen that from a muscular endurance standpoint or a corrective motor pattern to make that not be the thing that falters you when you get fatigued, right? And so that oftentimes for me, the fatigue state brings out that limited factor in your fitness level um, or your mech- your mechanics in the way you move that may trigger us to um, more of your individual design program.
1: So, yeah, finding that what makes you hit the wall first.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and not hit the wall from an energy depletion standpoint, but more of a, a changing mechanic standpoint. Yeah.
1: Okay, cool. I know, you know, we do have in Moscow, a number of recreational running teams in the area, and I'm sure we have some other listeners who are runners themselves. Do you have any, obviously you can't go out and measure all these people individually, but do you have any um, suggestions for people who are trying to push the limit for themselves as runners?
0: I think there's there's two things that I will, actually three, right? for one, just because somebody else wears a particular shoe brand doesn't mean that it's right for you. So... The the, oftentimes the question I get is, well, what footwear should I use? And and it's different for everybody. So you need to try multiple shoes. And I don't mean go to a store and get fitted. I mean, actually purchase a couple of shoes and go out and run in them for a while and see which one fits best. The other thing is, is be cautious what you see on social media. I think um, a number of the ideas is people, I belong to a couple running social media groups and it's always people asking other runners for advice. You don't know their history. You don't know Um, their knowledge, and just be cautious of that.
1: As with all social media, grain of salt. As with all social media, yes. I think
0: the final thing is, is listen to your body. Your body is going to tell you whether or not your pattern is correct or whether or not you need to make an adjustment, not your watch, not your GPS. And and, and I caution people to listen to music when they're first running because that takes you away from being in tune with your body. If I have a pain in my knee, that means I'm doing something incorrect and my body does not like it. I think many endurance athletes, whether you're an elite or recreational, we feel that we can push through it. But I think you can push through it if you make a correction. For me personally, if I have a knee pain, I'm running too slow Because, and now I'm bouncing up and down and I'm loading my joint incorrectly. That knee pain disappears when I run faster and my stride mechanics are correct. So that's not the same adjustment for everybody, but I will tell you that it's often adjustment when I have people run for me and they have a problem, I go, okay, you need to run faster and you need to push forward more, not up and down.
1: Interesting. Now, everybody if anybody's listening to this podcast while they're running, it's going to throw them off because they're going to be like, oh, I'm paying attention to this. I'm not supposed to. I'm supposed to be paying. So yeah, we're very confusing any runners who are listening to this podcast right now.
0: That's um, a struggle. We all love our vices.
1: <laughs> well, Josh, thank you so much for doing this today. I really do appreciate you taking the time.
0: Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you very much.
1: If you found the intricacies of Josh's running research interesting, I think you'll enjoy learning about a few other U of I research projects. Glaciologist Tim Bartholomus and former U of I master's student Tristan Amaral tested six methods to predict iceberg calving on 50 of Greenland's glaciers that terminate in the sea. To reduce uncertainty in coastal flooding during the coming years, they identified the best way to include iceberg calving in simulations of future glacier and ice sheet loss. As part of a team at the Center for Systems Science and Engineering at Johns Hopkins University, U of I alumnus N-Chung Dung helped develop an interactive world map that shows the status of COVID-19 around the world. The map tracks the number of confirmed cases, deaths, and recovered individuals for all affected countries in real time. A University of Idaho-led team will tackle a pair of viruses that cause major losses to the potato industry. U of I potato virus expert Alex Karasev will lead the project, which is funded by a $5.8 million grant from the National Institute for Food and Agriculture. All right, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening to The Vandal Theory. You can check out our website, uidaho.edu slash vandaltheory to learn more about Josh's work. Look through our show notes and email me with comments. Most importantly, you can subscribe. We're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play. Great and review us, too, and help spread the word about the great research being done at U of I by telling your friends and family about the podcast. I'm Lee Cooper, and thanks for joining me.